0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Money Mentors podcast. My name is Glenn Fairburn, and I'm here with my co-host, Nathan Lear. The objective of our podcast is to improve financial literacy and financial awareness. We're proudly brought to you by Hewilson Private Wealth, who's one of Australia's leading independent financial planning and wealth management firms. Um, This week, Nathan and I have a bit of a chat about the Royal Commission into Financial Services and Superannuation. Um, It's been a very heated topic. Um, it's got a lot of press coverage over the last few weeks and there's been quite a few alarming findings. Um, so we just have a bit of a chat about our views as to what's happening and perhaps where the industry is heading. We hope you enjoy it.
1: Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Uh, now it's quite topical at the moment. We're going through a Royal Commission into the the banking, financial services and superannuation industry. So it's basically uh, littering the financial press at the moment. So we're going through uh, basically every day another, uh, it's filling our headlines basically. Um, So Glenn and I thought we'd take this opportunity just to spend a couple of minutes having a chat about it in terms of what is it, why it was called and what impacts it may have um, moving into the future. So just to kind of kick it off, um, basically I mentioned that it's a Royal Commission into Banking Superannuation and Financial Services Industries. Um, it was basically called to improve the integrity of the of the entire financial system. Um, so Glenn, maybe just to just to get this conversation going, I mean obviously you read a lot about it like everybody else I'll just throw it over to you in terms of what have what have been some of the key, Takeouts that um, that you'd like to have a chat about from the royal commission so far. I think
0: I think the main theme is how concerning it's been. I mean, there's probably a lot of things that were brought to attention of of, of the from the industry um, post the global financial crisis, and, and therefore the introduction of the sort of future of financial advice reform. So I think a lot of the so-called you know shonky practices of financial advisors was really exposed. Um, post the GFC, where a lot of people got hurt from bad advice and inappropriate advice, um, but I think this this royal commission has further exposed some really bad practices by a number of financial institutions where their staff have really provided individuals with with advice that was inappropriate and probably not in their best interests, and it, and it's really a concern. and And I was just having a discussion with a client the other day, and he, he was saying, "Well, this." this should be good for independent-type firms such as yourselves. And I say, well, yes, that, that, that could be the view, but I think also what it does, it doesn't really paint a very good light for financial planners in general, does it? I mean, it's, it's never good to see your peers acting in a way that is just a bad reflection of, of what we're trying to create um, a professional industry, is it? I mean, it's just been really, really bad yeah
1: de- definitely it's i mean it's it's not great there's obviously like many industries as there's, there's often a couple of bad in, bad operators that can kind of tarnish a lot of people's reputations and but I, I think to a degree you know he's right your client where he says that there there's going to be probably more of a focus for consumers to receive independent advice uh, obviously one of the the, the main reasons wh- where a lot of the issues have come from is the conflicts of interest and, and the big banks have probably, they're going through it now with a couple of examples that have come up in the last few days where um, you know, the, the advisors have been faced with, with conflicts and they might make decisions that, although they weren't maybe, del- who knows, depending on the situation, but they might not have deliberately gone out to, to provide inappropriate advice. There's an incentive there which may lead them astray
0: and I think that's where a lot of the issues have, have arisen, isn't it? It's where you've got volume-based um, remuneration or incentives, which in, in a lot of the um, evidence that has come out, um, advisors with major institutions were incentivized to sell in-house type products. Mm. Um, so so that, it's so human the, nature, isn't it?
1: So that that um, the vertical, vertical integration model. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, our, our chairman, John Hewison, spoke about that when we had a chat with him a few weeks ago, the the issues that he saw in that model where vertical integration being that you've got an institution that manufactures products so they might create managed funds in a different array of asset classes or investment options and then you've got your advisors who are effectively the sales force selling those products. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't have to be Einstein to work out that if you're working for an institution that's manufacturing product, where's the incentive going to be? Um, So I think that's where a lot of these issues as I was saying, really arose in that, you know, clients or, or, or consumers would go to an advisor hoping for best advice tailored to their situation. But unfortunately, as we've seen through the, through the findings, a lot of the time when uh, consumers sought advice, they were getting, recommending, getting products recommended to them that one, weren't appropriate for their situation and secondly, probably weren't in their best interest and probably more likely in their advisor's best interest. Um, so i I think that if anything as john was saying and as the commission has exposed it's really going to be a challenge for this model going forward and we've already seen talk of the banks looking at divesting their their fund management arms because i think they see the the issues and the bad press that they're getting as a result of it
1: yeah i I think they already have well they already have started to divest some of it with insurance for example and and i know even i think National Australia Bank, come. I think today there was a headline that there was talk that they might yeah divest further. And
0: Commonwealth Bank with Colonial, I know they they probably purchased that about twenty years ago. Um, yep. They're looking at divesting that. or well, that's the speculation. Um, so whether this leads to a complete change in how how banks um, run their businesses, it may. Um, but but I think as, as we've sort of been saying for many many years, that there should be a separation between advice and product, because the advice should always be in the best interest. And I know that the way we construct portfolios is, is around achieving the client-specific outcomes and it doesn't matter where the client's investing. It doesn't impact how we're remunerated and how we charge our clients. And I think that's where the issues have always arisen, where there's that conflict of interest between the product provider um, and the advisor and the advisor and the client. Um, so I think that's definitely something that people should be looking at. But I think one of the challenges... For a lot of people, um, once again, through a lot of the findings out of the Royal Commission is that quite often, a, a consumer would go to an advisor thinking that they're independent but there's so many dealer groups beneath some of the major institutions. So, the, the institutions that have been mentioned, mentioned obviously, the, the big four banks and AMP, they, they dominate, I think, mm. 80 to 90% of the industry mm. and some people might think, well, I actually don't go to an AMP advisor but under the AMP banner is a number of different dealer groups, isn't there? So you may mm. think that you're getting advice from an independently licensed advisor, but that may not be the case. Um, so you sort of yeah. wonder how that will also play out as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've spoken about that quite quite a lot where you might go and the, the name of the financial planning or wealth management firm maybe look independent, um, but without doing the further investigations and looking at their... Um, financial services guide really or asking the question who are you licensed by you might not know the answer and they they may be independent or they may be licensed by a bigger a bigger dealer group or licensee um, which may not be a problem but it's i think just to give the consumer the power it's really good for them to to kind of have all the information and, and ask the right i think ask the right questions i think we always say to clients looking to seek advice do your research and you know look at the Look at the financial planning firm's website. Look at their financial services guide because that's an important document that does spell out a lot of the information, such as who they're um, who they're licensed by.
0: Because they can be independently owned but not independently licensed. Yeah, like you might have a a, um, a suburban financial planning practice that's owned by the principals, but their licensee or the or the organisation which issues their financial services license may be an organisation like an A and P or one of the major banks. So the question you need to ask is who who are you licensed through, um, and what sort of remuneration structures have you got? Now, as I was saying earlier, the 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 future of financial advice reforms um, that came into effect after the GFC really did eliminate most of the conflicted remuneration. So commissions are obviously yeah. banned now. So so a lot of the things that are, that are coming out, um, I suppose in a, in a lot of ways the the likelihood of them Occurring in future are very very low because of, of that commission um, windback, um, but I, I think one of the other. But it
1: didn't re- remove
0: conflicts of interest. Oh, like
1: that—that's no. the harder thing to remove, isn't it? Like you can remove commissions, and say you know no no more commissions or third party payments, but it, it back then they, they didn't.
0: Like you, volume, you're talking about volume based remuneration, well, like just, you just, sell just yeah.
1: Well, that, but also conflicts of interest, like yeah. the the system. Yeah. It's 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 hard. It's a hard thing to unwind, isn't it? It is with the vertical integration. Well, with,
0: yeah, with the way that the system's set up at the moment, it is really hard to unwind. Unless you have a situation where, as we we're saying, you do separate the advice from the product manufacturing,
1: or, or, or change the way that it's regulated, and 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 you enforce um, wrongdoings as well. And, and I, I know, know there's been talk of you know more more severe penalties like jail time and and things like that. So maybe I don't know. Maybe the system needs that to try and clean out some of the, the the inappropriate advice that's been given.
0: Yeah, and look, I, I don't think there's a... I mean, my sort of personal views, I don't think there's a problem with, like for example, banks or companies like AMP creating product and then selling it to their clients. So long as there's full transparency, like a perfect analogy is if you go to a four-dealer group, well, what do you think the four-dealer group's going to sell you? They're not going to sell you a Holden. Yeah, They're going to sell you, know you what a Ford. You opting. know what you're getting when you go in. So I think if there's full transparency um and and regulation in place to protect the consumer where there is no risk of conflicted remuneration then everyone's on that sort of equal playing field and everyone fully goes in with their eyes wide open but i think whether that's a possibility or not is is really a really difficult question um but i suppose one of the other aside from conflicted remuneration and those sorts of things I, i think one of the other real concerns that's been exposed through these investigations has just been the the bad quality advice hasn't it and a lot of that in my view has been driven by the extremely low educational standards which you know granted we're looking at the industry is looking at improving that Um, but it's no surprise that a lot of the issues that where people got hurt by was just through advisors giving really bad advice Mm -hmm. so you, you question the educational standards for these organizations number one that's what they should be looking at um, you know what What standards do they have if if any for their advisors um, advising people on their life savings i mean there's numerous examples there where people were advised to do things that they couldn't do yeah um,
1: yeah so just the one one that we saw yesterday from um from A- out of the amp or impacting uh it was an amp advisor basically recommended somebody switch their super and they they talked about you know ongoing fees and benefits and things like that but they they failed to to let them know about a um, quite a significant exit fee Um, and and this exit fee worked out to be I think uh, 25% or so of their total total superannuation fund so uh, I I think that comes back to what you just said Glenn being maybe you know education standards maybe if the uh, advisors are educated a little bit more and I mean the conflict of interest was there as well perhaps because it was a, a rolled over to an AMP type product so that it's kind of a combination of both things there, isn't it? Yeah, Education educational and-
0: standards, supervision, um, ongoing training. Um, I mean, without going through too many cases, the other example was where a couple got, got advice to sell their home um, and effectively use the proceeds um, to purchase like a bed and breakfast within their superannuation fund. So that, that was the advice that was given to them. So they proceeded and then when it came to actually going and setting up the self-managed fund and buying the asset, it was discovered that they couldn't actually do it. So there's situations where people have really been hurt by some bad advice. And as I was saying, yes, it can be arguably a small segment of the industry, but it doesn't paint a very good picture for the industry in total, does it? It doesn't sort of give you a lot of pride to say that you're a financial planner when you hear stories like this, even though you feel as though you're doing something completely different to what's being exposed, but... For the average consumer, um, I think it doesn't paint a very positive light, nor does it give them a, a positive impression of advisors and encourage them. And we, we've spoken so many times about you know the the fact that people don't get advice or don't have advisors. Well, this doesn't really help matters, does it?
1: Mm. Um, Glenn, I'll, I'll ask you a, a question. Do, do you do you see much change if you kind of look forward a little bit out of this royal commission? What, what are you? foresee happening
0: i think it's a tough one because uh, as i was saying i think a lot of the changes that are being i suppose discussed at the moment with the royal commission are already sort of coming into play i mean we, we know that within the financial planning industry the educational standards we're basically moving to a compulsory de- degree qualification from 2020 I think around 2020 yeah around then so every advisor has to have the equivalent of a of a bachelor's degree in order to give advice so that that's a positive start where we're raising those educational standards and hope that people when they seek advice are getting it from people who are adequately qualified and adequately trained so i think that's one thing um but i, I think as we were sort of discussing the biggest issue seems to be the conflict of remuneration and the conflict of interest where when advisors are recommending product that's not in the client's best interest but it's in the their employer's best interest. So whether the outcome of all this is that banks won't be um, creating financial product and won't have fund management arms, only time will tell. But we've already seen that seem to be taking place at the moment. Mm.
1: Um, the the other one of the other big talking points from the royal commission, just thought I'd touch on it, was the um, around mor- mortgage brokers. I know they copped a lot of heat uh, in the fir- several weeks back now. Um, and and I think from my understanding was the banks were kind of deflecting a little bit on the mortgage bro like passing on a bit of responsibility to the mortgage broker. So yeah. somebody applies for a home loan, um, that person um, that the, the bank basically when you apply for a home loan they they want to make sure you can service the loan, yeah, but they sure. they pass that service serviceability responsibility onto the mortgage broker. So mm. I think I think there's also been a bit of argy bargy between the. The mortgage broking industry and the and the banks about As to who's responsible, who's responsible because there is with with um you know there is there is a lot of um I guess commissions is what you call them, isn't
0: it? Or in that industry, yeah, it's a yeah, commission based industry. Um, yeah.
1: That that's basically how that industry is remunerated. So a broker writes a um, writes a loan and they get a they get an upfront uh, fee, whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it, and there's an ongoing trail. Um, yeah, so there is once again there is a lot of conflicts of interest. Um, I guess you just hope that the the individual that you deal with is uh, ethical and going to give you the best advice for you, um, and the the legislation is there also to protect you as a consumer as well. And, and that's obviously what this is hopefully going to going to uncover.
0: Yeah, and and obviously the 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 commission's still ongoing. They still haven't looked at um, industry superannuation funds. So we're sort of talking about. Um, the financial planning industry or looking at self-managed superannuation. But um, yeah, we're interested to see what the findings out of the industry super funds are as well mm. um, without sort of speculating on, um, you know, yeah, who knows what's going to be found with, with that sort of model because arguably they're in the same sort of situation as what the banks are because I know that they've sort of rolled out a financial planning arm where now a lot of the major industry super funds do have financial advisors now if you go and speak to one of their advisors, what funds are they going to recommend? They're not going to recommend you set up a self-managed super fund, are they? No. So, I would thought so. Yeah. So th- these are all things that I think will mm. will come out in, in, in due course. But but I think as always, our advice is to um, seek independent advice. Make sure that the advisor that you're speaking to um, is, if, is not aligned to an institution that um, provides incentivized payments um, and just understanding and and making sure that the advice you're getting is in your best interest, that there's no conflicted remuneration, there's no kickbacks, um, and that the only person that pays the advisor is you. Mm. Do Do you
1: think the uh, I'm just going to focus on the insurance and the and the or mortgage broking or or lending industry for a moment, which are commission industries. Mm. Do you think they could ever change? to be more of a fee-for-service. Yeah. I know we've spoken a lot about how, insu- how Hewison's private wealth do uh, insurance, but do you think the industry could ever move? It? It'd be quite a big shift, wouldn't it?
0: I think it would be. And look, we've proven that it can be done on the insurance side of things. So I think that's for us, we're pretty clear on that. Um, look, on, on the mortgage broking side of things, it, it, it is quite different. I mean, arguably that industry's created a lot of competition within lending as well. Um, because in the past, you'd probably just go, you know, to the to the bank that you're doing your everyday banking with because it was just easier, whereas now a profession has been created that can look at a number of different banking institutions um, and perhaps outside the top four. So arguably, in, in, the, in its purest sense, mortgage broking can provide a good outcome for consumers. Um, and, and look, there's nothing wrong with commissions per se so long as they're fully transparent. And That's perhaps right. so long That's as, key. and so long as they're all the same. I mean, if every bank's paying the same commission, then does it really matter? I don't know. I don't. It's not really an industry that I'm overly familiar with the the structure as to how they're remunerated. Um, but mm. yeah, I think it's a really difficult one on the loan side of things.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a very different industry as well. Um, on the on the wealth management side, you you work with a a client to accumulate wealth. Um, so. Yeah, quite often our clients will pay us a fee, and an agreed fee, to, to accumulate wealth for them. But on, on the lending side, it is different because you're actually like going into debt. When you take on a loan, you're going yeah. into debt. Like the purpose might be to buy a principal place of residence. It might be to buy an investment portfolio. But you are taking on, on debt. So it is a very different And aspect. arguably they're
0: conflicted as well, aren't they? I mean, if you're getting a percentage-based commission based on the size of a loan... There's a bit of a danger there as well, isn't there? Because you could conceivably be better, as a mortgage broker, be better off the more that someone borrows.
1: Well, they are. That's how the whole industry is set up. Um, And once again, you just hope that they're dealing with an ethical advisor that's not going to encourage them to overextend themselves if if
0: they don't need to or don't want to. And and just one final thing for me before perhaps we we wrap up. I think one of the other findings out of the commission was where – Consumers were being charged and not receiving any service. So yep. in, so internally, they may have had an advisor. So let's just say you go to ABC advice firm um, and you're seeing um, Joe Bloggs is your advisor. What would happen behind the scenes is that that advisor may leave but the clients would move on to another advisor within that organization um, and and the fees would continue but there'd be no service delivery. Hmm. So that, that in itself is a bit of a concern, isn't it?
1: Like a huge concern, and maybe that's why we need a royal commission to uncover bad practices like that. Because nobody should should expect that that type of treatment, should they? That's no, just, that's just not I, right.
0: Exactly. And th- look, I, I think that all we can hope. I mean, we we both participate in the industry. We're both advisors. We're both owners of a business that provides financial advice to clients. Um, and as I said earlier, it's never a great reflection on the industry when when these sorts of things are exposed. But the positive thing is that hopefully we can learn from that and implement changes that can make it better, not only for the consumer, but also for the industry. Because we, you know, ideally we want to be recognized in the same light as other trusted individuals in society like doctors and, and other professionals um, that are viewed in a very high light. And, and these things are a bit of a step back, but hopefully with the changes that get implemented, it can really um, put advisors in, in, a, in, a, in a positive place. Because we, we are we do play a really important role with the aging population, governments moving away from providing social security support for retirees it is important that people seek advice mm. um, so I hope that this doesn't discourage them from doing that
1: definitely um just before you wrap up Glenn uh, I think if the it's interesting because the the Royal Commission was called for very much supported by the banks at the start like they were yeah. encouraged the Royal Commission I wonder now you know, especially with AMP for example um, you know with what's happened there and the the share price and the CEO and and everything like that. You wonder whether they would would have been so welcoming if they had have known the outcome. I mean, the, the, the major four banks' share prices haven't actually moved a lot, I don't believe, at this stage since the Royal Commission started, but I guess yeah. there's a long way to go. So um, it's funny how how things change. Um, all right, we'll 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 wrap it up there, Glenn. So um, just to kind of quickly summarize our, our chat today, the Royal Commission is very topical at the moment. So it's been going ongoing for some some weeks now. Um, there has been a lot of findings coming out of the Royal Commission, still probably a lot more to come. Um, so w- w- Glenn and I just thought it would be good to have a, a little bit of a discussion about it, how it may impact uh, the consumer and some things to to maybe be aware of. So thanks again for listening and we look forward to having you next week.
0: Thanks again everyone for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. Uh, please, as we always say, check out Hewison Private Wealth at our website which is www.hewison.com. Dot au you can also find us via the various social media platforms so Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, we'd also really appreciate if you leave feedback, um, rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Um, once again hope you enjoy the podcast and we look forward to speaking to you all again next week.